Okay, good morning everybody and welcome to Radio Ombudsman. Uh, all our guests are special, but this morning we have a very special guest and it's James Titcombe. It's very good to see you, James. Thanks for coming. Great to be here, thank you. Now, it's a tradition on Radio Ombudsman that our guests tell us a bit about where they were born and brought up and what values are associated with that. Could we begin by hearing something about that from you, please? Yeah, sure. So, um, I was born in the Midlands um, in a little village called Cosby, where I was brought up. Um, my dad was a teacher, so he was a science teacher. Um, and my mum was, was a housewife for many years. She later became a teacher. Um, two older sisters. Um, and I had a, yeah, a very happy kind of childhood. Um, um, lots of uh, education around in the house. Um, kind of ho home taught a lot about science. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, very, very, very happy, happy childhood. Good. So you went to eventually work in project management in the nuclear industry. How, how did you get there? Yeah, so um, I studied engineering at Leeds um, and when I graduated I got, um, got a job with a big engineering construction organisation um, and that took me around many different parts of the world actually so I worked in, in China and Vietnam a lot and when our um, Second, well, first child was born, Emily, back in 2005. Um, the life of travel was was getting a bit tiresome, and I wanted to settle down. And I got an opportunity to um, to work at Sellafield, which is a big nuclear site in Cumbria. Um, so from 2005 onwards, um, I, I worked there um, first as a commissioning engineer, and then later as a as a project manager. And what were the big issues? Uh, particularly around safety that you took from that experience? Yeah, I mean, from day one, really, um, the, the safety culture was, was really, really embedded from the induction. I remember very powerful, you know, but turning up at Sellafield and, and having the, the safety induction and, and hearing very powerful stories of, um, um, you know, people who have died at work um, and, and the lessons for, for, from that. Um, the whole culture, the culture of reporting, um, the culture of actually um, it's professional to raise concerns and raise issues um, and this whole whole ethos of taking all reasonable practical steps to reduce harm so there was no kind of set level where where you reach a certain standard of safety and that's okay it was always striving actually what's the very safest way we can do this and that was the um, yeah that was the kind of culture that I, I worked in for a long time and a decade ago you suffered an appalling and avoidable tragedy with the loss of your baby son. Mm. In the midst of this tragedy, you were let down by a number of national health service organizations, mm. including the health service ombudsman. How did you deal with this at the time mm. when the temptation for many people would be to take time out just to grieve? Yeah, and I think that's that. That is what probably I, I wanted to do. It's what my family wanted me to do. But but the the problem was I I couldn't accept the answers that I was given. Um, firstly, you know the local organisation, the way they responded. Um, I I just didn't accept that that was the case. Um, the investigations that were carried out were, um, were were poor. They didn't they didn't establish the truth, and it was almost as if every time I kind of pushed for for answers, the the walls came up. It became more and more defensive. 
and eventually I'd, I'd, I'd managed to lift the stone um, and what I found led to more questions and more concerns. And that really is kind of the way, it, way it's carried on. So um, it's not been a conscious choice, um, but, 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 but things have, have transpired so that I've just had to carry on asking those questions. And it's, yeah, it's been quite an incredible um, 10 years when I look back. Um, I can hardly believe um, what, you know, how the system responded and, and, and all the failures that have been, been uncovered. So you, you had a lot of doors closed to you. Did, did you have a support network that enabled you to keep going? Definitely, yeah. And that, that came from um, other families, um, other families at Morecambe Bay and other families who had had similar, similar harm. Family, very, very important, very, very supportive um, um, family, I have to, have to mention them. And a few kind of um, al almost insiders, if you like, people in the system who were very, very supportive. Um, and that's made a huge difference, I think. Now, coming to our organisation, the Health Service Ombudsman, your interaction with us was extended over four or five years. Mm. And without commenting on the personalities, uh, could you characterise the way in which you were treated and ultimately let down? Yeah, I think there was, um, you know, to start with, an, an over-reliance on um, what the organisations were saying. Um, and a more dismissive approach, perhaps, to um, to my concerns. Um, yeah, real lack of, of kind of curiosity um, and scrutiny. And yeah, fun fundamentally, um, the logic within which I think the the ombudsman responded was was a flawed logic. It was it was saying, you know, although we accept there are problems with the way Joshua's care has been investigated we don't think that there'll be a worthwhile outcome in, in, in looking at it because things like medical records have gone missing or because um, we think other organisations will will be have an oversight of the changes that are needed. And at the end of the day, I think what happened was there was, there was kind of mutual assurance um, and nobody actually looked at these serious issues that needed looking at. And that led to, um, I, I think, risks going on for longer than they needed to. So the term no worthwhile oh. outcome has come back to yeah. me from a number of complainants yeah. in the last year who never forget it. No. What, what did it mean to you? Yeah, it was it was an incredible um, statement to read in in the, in the kind of assessment papers for, for Joshua's case, um, and yeah, it's it's infuriating um, because obviously from my perspective and with hindsight, there would have been an incredibly worthwhile outcome, and that and that, that that would have been and you know identifying very serious issues that could have led to to action being taken to um, to, to help protect other other mothers and babies. Um, so yeah, absolutely a point, and and, and of course. How can you make a judgment about whether something's worthwhile before before you've tried? Um, so yeah, very 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 inappropriate language, I think. I think one of the cultural issues for the ombudsman was the assumption in its operations up to that point was that they could and should deal with a very small number of cases, perhaps 400 a year, that they thought they could produce some positive results which would have an impact on the mm. health service, but that mm. didn't take account of the many more cases where there were avoidable deaths and things mm. to mm. to investigate. And mm. and your experience really brought that home that mm. you can't just confine it to a small number of mm. cases. Mm. You have to think more widely than that. 
And I mean, really, Rob, thinking about this, um, and this has been my, my you know, I, I was very confused after Joshua died as to why I was dealing with a complaints process, okay, because for me this was about safety yeah. and, it, and it should have been a separate separate process. And for me, I think, what, what you know, in the, in the future, what, what I'd like to see really is um, fewer and fewer cases of um, serious patient safety events having to come through the complaint system because I think actually they, they should be recognised as serious patient safety events, they should be investigated with candour, those investigations should be very high quality, they should involve the family and actually and if they're not done adequately it shouldn't be for the complaint system to resolve that. The commissioners, the local system should be quality assuring those investigations. So in an ideal world you know I would like to see fewer and fewer um, serious patient safety events make their way through to the complaint system and I think that that, that would help um, um, w with this, this problem that we have. So you, you're a, a champion of HSIP and the idea that an institution will take responsibility for uh, modelling investigations into patient safety across the health service, are you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, this has always been my, my, you know, after Joshua died, um, at, at, you know, and actually after babies that died several years before Joshua, had there been um, an investigation that said, look, let's establish why this happened, what went wrong, what we need to do to, to fix that, then, then yeah, I'm fairly convinced that, that Joshua would actually still, still be alive. Um, and that shouldn't be a complaint uh, process. You know, if something happens on a construction site or in the nuclear industry and it's a safety investigation, you don't expect the family to raise a complaint about that. You expect the, 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 there to be a thorough independent investigation that, that answers those questions. Um, and, and, you know, that's the way we should routinely be, um, be, be responding to these, to these type of tragedies. Do you think the bill as it currently stands provides enough resource to HSIP to be able to do what you have just said you wanted it to do? So I think you're never going to have um, in healthcare uh, you know, a central organisation like HSIP that is going to be able to investigate independently every case of something going wrong. So I think HSIP have, um, have a, an ambition to, to, to investigate around 30 systematic issues in, in healthcare a year. The exception being maternity, which perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll mention later. But the, um, the f first line, um, the, you know, in, in, in the vast majority of these cases, the responsibility is going to be with the local organisation. So I think there's a huge task ahead, actually, to um, professionalise and uh, uh, that, that framework for local, local organisations to do those investigations. And I think over the next few years, I think I'd really like to see accredited training for investigators, a proper standards framework and proper quality assurance so that those investigations are happening locally to, to very high standards. So the accreditation will come from HSIP? That's certainly one option, yeah. Um, but but you know what a step forward it would be. At the moment, we've had so many reports saying um, huge variation. When the Each Baby Counts report looked at um, babies that had died in 2015, 25% of those investigations were too poor for the Each Baby Counts team to establish whether there were failures in care or not. So. Um, you know, any step forward from that is going to be positive progress. So any framework that actually says, you know, the, these are the minimum standards, the people who do the investigations need to be properly trained, um, these are the components of a good investigation that we're going to demand um, in, in these cases, that will be a huge step forward. So my understanding from seeing what you've written and mm. your answers now is you want a clear separation 
although a link between patient safety and complaints on uh, yeah yeah you don't you don't you don't see PHSO as being redundant no. in, in my understanding of what you're saying no not at all I, th- I think um, in an ideal world we will we, you know as things improve as, as local investigations get better and better you will naturally see less people feeling that their patient safety events that they've been involved with need to end up with a complaint to you. There will be circumstances where they do, um, and it's perfectly right that at the end of that process, um, but, you know, people come to you and say, actually, uh, and you will be the arbitrator of that process. Um, but in an ideal world, um, those kind of serious patient safety events will become fewer and fewer that, that end up at your door. So I, I would agree, I would see us as being the last resort on patient safety where it didn't work in the HSIP environment. Mm. But yeah. in addition, there are lots of complaints that we receive which aren't about patient safety. Absolutely. They're about service delivery. Absolutely. And that's, for me, where the real value of the Ombudsman should be. That's where the focus should be. That's what the complaints process should be about. I think it's a, it's a sign actually that we've had um, a poor poor safety system in healthcare that so many people with um, serious uh, patient safety events who've, who've suffered end up having to go through the complaint system as a as, as a way of, of of getting answers. Okay, so at my pre-appointment hearing last year, I told MPs about the profound learning that I took from how uh, this office has handled your case. Mm. What do you think are the key lessons that the Ombudsman should take away from the Mm. way in which they dealt with you? So I think, yeah, there there are many, many, many lessons. Um, Fundamentally, um, the issue I was bringing to the Ombudsman attention in 2000, look, this terrible thing has happened to my son. I don't believe that the local organisation has investigated it properly. If they haven't investigated it properly, how are they going to learn? Um, and yeah, you were actually at that, you know, at that time the Ombudsman was the only organisation I could go to. So I think you know a very r- more rapid assessment process that simply looked at that that fact. You know, has this been investigated properly or not? Had you done that, um, I think it was evident that, that, that you know the answer was was no, and um, you know a remedy. When we, we talk about this language of remedy, that the remedy I wanted was for there to be a proper investigation and for there to be learning. That that investigation wouldn't necessarily have had to come, in my view, from the ombudsman. It might have been um, um, a recommendation that the, you know, the local organisation went away and did that proper investigation. So that's one of the one of, one of the lessons I think early taking a view of whether this has been handled properly or not. There are, there are many others. Um, you know, there, there was too much, I think, reliance on what the local organisation was saying. There was a lack of joined up working with other organisations. There was confusion. Um, and yeah, there, there was a failure really to, 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 to get to grip with, with the issues that I was, I was raising about Joshua's care. I mean, one of the key things for an ombudsman is to be independent of the bodies in jurisdiction. And Mm -hmm. what you've described is unsatisfactory where there is an over-reliance on what organisations are saying. Now, that's interesting. Part of it, as you say, the word you chose was a lack of curiosity. Mm. That's, That's very important. Mm. You can't train for curiosity, Mm. but you can inspire it and you Mm. can incite it. Mm. But there are also issues about technical competence, Mm. which trusts can hide behind Mm. as a way of putting people off 
uh, mm. looking further. Mm. So it's about how you train people to deal with that, yeah. uh, as well as a mindset and a determination to, to look at it. Absolutely agree. Okay. Um, now, you've campaigned for a long time. Your, your campaign led to the investigation by Dr. Bill Kirker, and his report uh, was a, a damning condemnation of, of how things had occurred at the hospital. But more than three years on from that investigation, it, it seems that there has been a lot of change, not mm. only in the hospital, but in the wider service. Is that accurate? Would you say yeah, that was true? Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely true. And, you know, so from a, a patient, you know, a family affected by these events that <coughs> have been keeping a very, you know, very close eye on, on the Kirkup recommendations and, you know, not all of them have progressed as fast as I would have liked to see. But actually looking back now, as you, you know, first of all, the local hospital has made incredible changes that, 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 that I could talk about for a long time. But nationally, yeah, there, there has been some, some really important stuff. So um, there was the um, National Maternity Review. Um, which, although I wasn't, you know, wasn't completely happy with every aspect of it, did result in this kind of work stream too, focusing on safety, you know, big focus on um, multidisciplinary training and kind of Tim Draycott's work at Southmead and the prompt, the prompt idea. So, so obstetric emergency training, multidisciplinary training, um, work organisations like Baby Lifeline, um, you know, monitoring, um, huge focus on, on kind of multidisciplinary work uh, and safety in that regard. And of course, you know, um, we've seen the supervisory system, which was one of the subjects of uh, one of the ombudsman's reports, mm -hmm. um, that, there, you know, there was a conflict in local supervisory investigations in maternity cases and the serious untoward incident framework and, and that system's been completely changed now which is which is, is is good news and of course the biggest change is we do now have HSIB and from you know April 2019 um, the cases that meet the each baby counts criteria which would include Joshua so this is term babies um, with, with, with brain damage or term babies who, who are still born or die um, in the early neonatal period will all be investigated um, independently by HSIP um, and you know one of the big lessons from Morecambe Bay was that we are simply not learning from, from these events and I'm really optimistic that that programme of work through HSIP will, um, will, will really result in some, some major changes in, in, in safety and maternity. But this, this work is unfinished and, and it's mm. still ongoing. I mean, only a week ago we had the report into uh, the Nursing and Midwifery Council, mm. which was hugely critical of the cover-up mm. of issues that you had raised with them about fitness to practice. Mm. I mean, it's not, it's not a simple issue. Could you say something about leadership in this respect? Because yeah. a lot of people uh, raise this. You can't have meaningful change unless you have leaders prepared to take responsibility for delivering this. How, have you found the leadership issue in the health service? Very, 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 very important. Um, and it makes an absolutely huge difference. So the, the example I can give you is, um, you know, in 2013, major critical report about CQC's handling of Morecambe Bay. It's called the Grant Thornton Report. Yeah. The report accused the CQC of a cover-up. 
And what really struck me about that was um, just how frank the new leadership team were. So this was David Pryor and David Behan about that. I remember being quite shocked listening to David Pryor on the news saying, you know, some things that I I would be worried about saying. He was explicit about the failures in that organisation. There was confidence that, you know, they they really had diagnosed what the cultural issues were and and that they weren't hiding away from it. And actually, those two chaps, the two Davids, David Bean and David Pryor, they came up to Cumbria, and I remember this very powerful meeting they had with some of the families affected by Morecambe Bay. Um, And they were going around asking the the families their stories and really listening. And what became apparent was that there were were families there whose babies had died avoidably after CQC gave the green light on the maternity unit at Furness General Hospital and I think you know that they were eyes were wet there there weren't many dry eyes and um, um, I remember David Pryor very clearly acknowledging you know we have to be clear that had we not missed these opportunities your your baby might might have survived and I think if you have that level of understanding that level of ability to um, um, hold your hands up and and accept um, um, what's gone wrong it, it can actually provide a foundation from which to um, to make positive change, but it does come down to, to good leadership. David Bean is very interesting. I mean, he he was a guest on Radio Ombudsman, mm. and one of the things that I take away from what he said was that he brought to the task a background in social work, mm. which is very mm. unusual for a, a, mm. a senior health service. Yeah. Um, persons and it shows that having the experience of being on the ground is very important in I think so. in, in yeah. understanding and relating yeah. to people. Absolutely. But just moving it on a bit, I mean you then went to work for <laughs> CQC which many people thought was a brave thing to do. Yeah. What was that experience like? Well I mean at the time um, of course you know I was still working at Sellafield I was enjoying enjoying my job but more and more of my focus had been on um, getting to grips with Joshua learning about patient safety and I became yeah I became a little bit um, enthusiastic I don't know kind of kind of about patient safety and about the the contrast between the culture I was used to working in and what I'd learned about the healthcare system. Um, and it was actually, you know, at the meeting um, when the two Davids met families at Morecambe Bay and I kind of stayed behind after that meeting and had a long conversation with them and, and reflected, you know, some of the culture um, and, and ways of working in, in, in it I was used to in the nuclear industry. Um, and, and this, you know, suggestion came, well, you know, why not come and do some temporary work with, um, with CQC? And to me, um, that was an, a great opportunity to influence things. Um, I did kind of, kind of temporary six months work, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed working with the people. Um, uh, and then was, you know, was interviewed for um, uh, you know, a permanent role at CQC, um, which I you know, very much enjoyed, you know, no regrets at all. It was a really, really exciting time for me uh, and a time when I think yeah, we, we, we made some, some, some positive changes and um, made a difference. Could you tell us, we're moving towards the end, but I want to use the time as best as I, I can. Tell us about your career after leaving CQC. So, um, yeah, I, it was actually um, 
at the launch of my book, um, we were very lucky that we, we, you know, the book launch was sponsored by a company called Datex. Yeah. And Datex, as you know, many many people will know, um, are, are they, they patient safety software incident reporting systems. Um, and I had a very good conversation with them, and um, they, they, yeah, a mutual kind of agreement that, that that I might come and do some work with with Datex, which was fantastic. You know, that, that developing new new software. Uh, with them, but more recently, um, one of the founders of Datex, a chap called Jonathan Hazan, approached me with um, the idea that you know why don't we set up our own patient safety organisation? So for the past 12 months, really, I've been working with Jonathan, and we've been growing um, a small team of people. Um, I'm thinking about you know how how could we do something different? So very exciting time. We've just launched, um, you know, our, our new organisation. We're just in the process of applying for charity status, um, and we're planning some 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 really you know exciting work. I think around sharing learning, around culture change, um, and hopefully that's where I'm going to be uh, working for for the foreseeable future. So you're far too modest to promote your own book, but it is a classic account. It's required reading for anyone who's interested, not only in patient safety, but in what ombudsmen have to do. It's published by Anderson Wallace Publishing. It's called Joshua's Story, Uncovering the Morecambe Bay NHS Scandal. It's, it's a brilliant book. Uh, how long right. did it take you to write that? Well, I suppose in essence, I was writing it ever since Joshua Joshua died. But uh, yeah, hard hard work, and, and probably about a year of deciding I'm going to write the book to actually finishing it. Um, I have to mention my my good friend Helen Hughes, who was uh, prompting me very regularly and giving me encouragement. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a, a rewarding thing to do, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm very gl- glad that I managed to get the book uh, published. So I want to ask two final questions, if I may. We've talked about HSEP, we've talked about how patient safety, partly by your own personal efforts, mm. uh, has come up the agenda of the health service, it's mm. recognised by the Secretary of State and so on. Mm. Do you see any causes for concern about the future of patient safety in a situation where the health service is desperate for resource? I think yeah, I think I think that that's you've hit the nail on the head. I think um, the risks to this are um, very much around workforce and resources and cost, um, and we've seen this huge pressure. I saw David Behan talking about an expected decline in in standards possibly next year. You know, um, the government at the moment is um, focusing on a long term plan. My personal view is if the NHS needs more money as a taxpayer, I'd be very happy to, to, to fund that. So, of course, those are huge, huge issues. And we've got to get the basics right. We've got to have the right number of staff on, on the wards. Uh, I'm actually, you know, the last few years, um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, I don't know whether I'm in the minority or not, but I think political leadership has been very important. And we've actually had that focus on, on patient safety. I think if that changed, I'd be very nervous about um, whether we could slip backwards. And I think, you know, the most fundamental thing for me, Rob, is that we, we you know, as in the nuclear industry, safety is professionalised. I think in healthcare over the next few years, we've got to see patient safety as being professionalised. It should be the pinnacle of, of people's careers and recognised and a whole framework around um, the profession of patient safety. So if we get those things right, um, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll head in the right direction. Okay, thank you. Now, you're recognised as a resilient and influential campaigner and your work has been recognised in the honours list. But what is 
disturbing is that you've also experienced substantial and entirely unacceptable abuse from mm. lots of people, from disaffected mm. nurses and midwives, but other people as well. Mm. How, how do you cope with that? Yeah, I mean, it's probably in, in context, it's important to say that, the, you know, the vast majority of feedback I get and, and interactions are lovely and positive but there has been this um, this kind of dark darker side there are a few reasons I think um, locally um, there, there have been people who have obviously been affected by the investigation and there are one or two really unpleasant things that happen um, you know almost stalking type of behavior that's very uh, it's upsetting and, yeah. and horrible um, you know and the only way I think to deal with that is to to ignore it um, and, and, and to not feed it. And the other area I think of criticism has is, is been, you know, the, the Morecambe Bay report had some findings that not everybody um, agreed with. So there was the finding around the focus on on normal birth and uh, inappropriate focus on normal birth. And there are elements I think within the midwifery community yeah. that find that a very difficult area of discussion. And yeah, I think it's it's all those those things. Um, um, criticism is fine, disagreements fine, but I think the thing that I, I found difficult is the kind of the personal attack. But I guess, you know, you, it, it can't stop you doing, you, you, I have to stand up for what I believe is right and I'll, I'll continue to do that. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's been an unfortunate um, um, aspect of, of the last few years, you know, without a doubt. Well, you are a role model for resilience and principled campaigning. Just as a very final question, there are perhaps 300 people who work for the Ombudsman. Most of them are young graduates out of university a couple of years fashioning their careers what what, would, what advice would you give to them following your your experience so i think first and foremost actually um every every person in the ombudsman has a, a fantastic chance through their role to make a real difference to people um, and don't don't lose sight of that really the work um that you do day in day out can make a massive difference to families and ultimately um, if you get these decisions right it could can save lives as well um, so keep keep that in mind and keep those values at the core of, of, of what you're doing day in day out. James Tickham thank you very much indeed. Thank you Rob. Thank you for listening to Radio Ombudsman. We'd love to know what you think so please leave a review or comments. If you like what you hear please share and subscribe for future editions.